0: to Boston Confidential, Towns true crime podcast. Boston is a great city, but there's more to it than the Freedom Trail and Fenway Park. There's a startling underbelly to the city, and Boston Confidential will take you on a guided tour of the dark side of the Athens of America, Boston, Massachusetts. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Boston Confidential. My name's Barry McGuire, and I'm your host. I'm a 20-year private investigator on the streets of Boston and I help run a company called Impact Due Diligence Investigations. If you need anything in terms of investigative services, feel free to contact me at Impact. If I can't help you personally, I'll certainly direct you to the right person or agency. All right, guys. Welcome back to Boston Confidential. I hope everybody had a great Christmas and a happy New Year's. But we're back at it. You need to jump back in the time machine with me again, It's about 11 years, and this is the case of Philip Markoff, the Craigslist killer, and this occurred in 2009. This case actually seems like yesterday, but I guess it was a while ago now. This is a strange case. I've never been able to figure this kid out, and I call him a kid mostly because I'm old, but he was, I believe, 23 when these crimes occurred, and it was actually a spree of crimes, and... Let me just start by telling you a little bit about Philip Markov's background, and we'll go from there. When these crimes occurred, Markov was a medical student at Boston University. But before that, he was born and raised in suburban Syracuse. Actually, he was born, it's about 40 minutes from Syracuse and about 30 minutes from Utica. So he was in that stretch from Syracuse to Utica. And the only thing I really know about that area is it's very rural, and they get a crap ton of snow. Any place that gets more snow than Boston is on my radar, and I know the metropolitan Syracuse area gets more snow than Boston. So, Philip Marcotte was born in 1986. His dad was a dentist, and he did pretty well for himself. His mother was a homemaker, and they lived the You know, the typical suburban life. Philip Markhart was an excellent student, honor honor roll student all the way through. And when he went to high school, he said he was going to go on to the State University, New York, SUNY. They call it SUNY. SUNY Albany, and he was going to study pre-med. And he did so well in this pre-med program, he did apply to Boston University and was accepted. His grades were phenomenal. The kid is an absolute genius in terms of schoolwork. So he went to SUNY Albany, graduated, and moved to the metropolitan Boston area, where he was going to attend Boston University Medical School. Very prestigious. I don't have to say what BU Medical School represents. But before that, he interned or volunteered at the emergency room at Albany Hospital and he met a young woman that he became enamored of. Philip Markoff was described as kind of aloof and reserved, but when he met Megan McAllister at the hospital, the emergency room, I think they were both volunteering because they were in the medical program at SUNY at the emergency room, they quickly fell in love, and Philip goes on to graduate from SUNY pre-med, and he's going to hit BU, and Megan McAllister, Felt so hard for Philip, she went with him. And Megan also applied to go to law school, but she had suffered a debilitating back injury. And she was living with Philip Markoff in the metropolitan Boston area when this crime occurred, but she had also applied to medical school, but she was going to go to medical school in the Caribbean. I believe when Philip first moved to the Boston area, he lived in the Dorchester neighborhood close to Dorchester Avenue. And I get this from the transcript when the police interviewed Megan McAllister. But he lived with a roommate, a male roommate, on Dorchester Avenue in Dorchester. And in the second year, Megan and Philip Markoff moved into the High Point apartment complex in Quincy, Massachusetts. I believe it was just before this that Megan and Philip got engaged and they were due to be married I believe it was that, August, I believe it was August 2009. They wouldn't get married, and you'll see why during the story, and if you remember it, you'll certainly remember why Philip Markov was not at his wedding. As I had mentioned previously, Philip Markov was described as kind of aloof, quiet, reserved, but he did have a streak in him that liked to gamble. Even in high school, he wrote in somebody's high school yearbook that he would leave his poker-playing prowess to a certain individual so that individual wouldn't lose his house. So it seems as though Philip Markoff was gambling all the way through high school, college, and now into medical school. Megan McAllister, Philip's girlfriend, or fiancé, rather, moved in with them, and they were engaged, but she wasn't working. She was trying to find work, but she had a back injury. So the back injury is healing. And all of this is on loans, right? He's got a loan to go to medical school, which includes a certain amount of money for his apartment and all that. So Megan moves in with him, and I'm sure she's somehow trying to split the bills and do that and plan to go off to medical school after their wedding in August. Megan McAllister was born in New Jersey, and she went back home pretty frequently, and that left Philip Markoff alone a lot of the times. So she'd go back to New Jersey. I think she'd get treatments on her back, visit her family. So a couple days at a time. So Philip would be on his own pretty frequently. So she was back and forth between New Jersey and Quincy, Massachusetts. That's a town just outside of Boston. And Megan thought everything was going well. Her back was feeling better. She was gearing up to go to medical school and get married. So probably one of the best years of her life. It wouldn't go that way for Megan so let's take this up to the time of the crime or at least the crimes plural you know maybe i should highlight exactly what platform was used craigslist i know it's still an active platform but at that time craigslist was used a lot as like an adult friend finder right there was classified ads on there for women or men offering sexually related services massage in call out call was basically a prostitution platform, and that was its main function. And there were calls to legislate, sue, and basically stop this end of Craigslist, but this was before that occurred. So, and this is one of the reasons Craigslist eventually got rid of these adult ads. Okay, so if you were a working girl, a prostitute on some level, you, instead of hanging out on the corner, you'd advertise on Craigslist, and then you'd meet the Johns or the patrons at various hotels, homes, whatever. So it hasn't existed for about a decade now, so that's why I'm trying to give you a little bit of an explanation on that. All right, so we're going to fast forward a little bit to April 10th, 2009. 29-year-old Teresa Leifler, L-E-F-F-L-E-R, They describe her as a prostitute. I think that's a little harsh. I'm going to call her a working girl. She was from Las Vegas, but came to Boston for a few days to work off of Craigslist. She conducted her own Craigslist ads and offered sexual services to men. And she had been contracted that day to go to the Weston Copley Plaza Hotel, which is one of Boston's finest hotels located on Boylston Street right in the Copley district. It's very nice. So it was basically a straight business transaction. She had been contracted on Craigslist and was going to conduct this business at the Western Copley. And in walks a six-foot-something wide-shouldered blonde male. And he ends up robbing Trisher. And he robs it. It's a pretty significant robbery. He robs Trisher of $800 in cash and $250 in gift cards. He ended up tying up Trisha and gagging her. She was extremely frightened. She thought she was going to be killed. The robber had pulled out what appeared to be a black 9 millimeter handgun and pointed it directly at her. Trisha did end up going to the police, and she reported it, and I think she was pretty straightforward as to what she was doing there. Boston police take the robbery. Unfortunately, working girls are... The subject of a lot of crimes, because people think that they can't go to the police for anything, but Trisha did. She went and she filed a report, and that's about all she thought she was going to hear on it. So the robber conducted a pretty good score, 800 in cash, 250 in gift cards. So what do people who commit these types of crimes do when they find some success? Well, they try it again. And... Four days later, on April fourteenth, two thousand nine, Julissa Brisman, who's described as a twenty six year old Masseuse. Now, if you look at the media reports on this case, you'll find that Miss Brisman was an absolute knockout. Very beautiful woman. I don't know why she stooped to do this. Times are tough, I understand that and, and life gets tight. I try not to make those judgments against people. But she was also going to school, and she was due to graduate this coming May. It's April. So she was due to graduate from a New York university. I forget what school she went to. But she had a major finance and, I believe, management. This girl was on the way to something. And I think she was doing this to supplement her income until she could get a job that she had trained for in college. But it just went haywire. So... There's a report from a photographer in one of the newspapers that mentioned he was taking some headshot photos of Julissa. She was very beautiful, could easily have been a model. And she had told this photographer that at times she'd be flown out to Las Vegas to these high-level parties. She'd walk around topless and all this. The photographer didn't think it amounted to much more than that, than rich businessmen in Las Vegas wanting beautiful women to walk around topless, scantily clothed, or whatever. I suspect there was more to it, but she had told this photographer that she would make about $1,000 a day when she went out there. So she was now up in Boston. She was originally from the Bronx, and that's where she was living. But she'd travel up here, do three or four days at a hotel, and head back with some cash in hand. And she was on the way to graduating the following month. But it didn't go that way for Jalissa, I'm sorry to say. April 14th, she makes an appointment on Craigslist. All seems well. She does some type of security checks on there as best she can. But she's not working with a security person at all. It's just her. She's this 5-foot, under-120-pound woman. There was no security involved here. But I think staying at the Copley Marriott was kind of a safety feature in and of itself, because it's such a well-known, high-class area. And also, if you remember, Trisha Liefler, she stayed at the Weston Copley, and Julissa stayed at the Marriott Copley. They're directly across the street from each other. If you don't know Boston, there is an indoor mall, the Copley Plaza Mall, which separates the two hotels. The Copley Plaza is directly across the street, and the Weston's a newer hotel, both of which are probably four or five stars each. So she thinks she's going to make some money. But when she answers this date, this contract that she had on Craigslist, she is immediately struck with the butt of a nine millimeter. I believe what happened was this assailant came in looking to rob her. He had scored about $800 four days before. So he hits Julissa with the butt of a gun. Once, twice, maybe three times. She resists and fights. She's from the Bronx. I think she's going to mix it up. She's not going to be taken advantage of. He tried to put these zip ties on her, and she fought back. And I think he shot her because he could no longer handle her. And here was this little girl getting ready to kick his ass. He ended up shooting her three times. Nobody hears anything, but he does rob her. I don't know how much money he got from Julissa, but he did take items from her. And the assailant leaves the room. And naturally, you know, this is the Marriott Copley. So there's cameras everywhere. In that whole area, there's cameras everywhere. And the person they catch on tape outside the room and in the lobby, the extensive lobby, it's clear as day. And you want to know who it is? It's Philip Markov. And now they know they have somebody who's doing this in a serial manner. They had one four days ago, and now across the street at another hotel, it happens again. Now the police were alerted that it looks like somebody is robbing these working girls, and now they've committed murder. So the stakes just went up 100%. So the cops now have phones from Tricia Leifler and Julissa Brisman, and they start their forensic investigation. But the next day, April 15th, a friend of Julissa's forwarded the cops a copy of an email sent to Julissa delineating who she was going to meet. This was part of one of Julissa's security measures. And I believe at this point, the forensic examination ramps up The person had used burner phones, as they called them back then, track phones, but they call them burner phones now. But at a certain point, he had sent an email from what appeared to be a home computer, and now they had the IP address. And the IP address will narrow you down to an apartment in an apartment building. It's that accurate. So the police are busy analyzing the phone forensically, and now they're putting together a composite of the videotape that they had obtained through the security footage at both hotels. And now it tells them this is the same guy. Pretty soon after that, they're going to put this on the nightly news, and it's just going to ramp up from there. But in the meantime, on April 16th, a man had requested a masseuse from Craigslist masseuse, you know, working girl, whatever, But this time it was in Warwick, Rhode Island. Warwick's about an hour from Boston, and the airport for Rhode Island, TF Green Airport, is actually in the city of Warwick. Nice town, but it's definitely not Boston. And I think Philip Markoff was trying to cover his tracks. So somebody unknown at that time contacts Cynthia Melton, She's an exotic dancer out of Rhode Island. She works at an infamous strip club called the Cadillac Lounge. And they contacted her for sexual services at a Holiday Inn Express in Warwick. And once this person gets there, he gets into the the room and all that, immediately pulls a gun on her and tries to tie her up. Now, Cynthia was working with security at this point, and somehow... Her security agent, who turned out to be her husband, gets alerted from the struggle within the room and I believe Cynthia may have screamed there was also some reports that Cynthia and her husband, who was working security for her, had a signal, a text message if everything was all right after the John got there. she doesn't get that right away, and he comes barging into the room, sees this dope with a handgun, and his wife is bound and They struggle a little bit, but the assailant runs off. Again, caught fully on tape. So they do go to the police, and they alert the Warwick police. Warwick police, for their part, did an excellent job knowing that there's been two of these instances in the Boston area. So Warwick police, Rhode Island State Police get with BPD, and they start putting their heads together. And now the ball's starting to roll because this is just a serial offender. One person's already been killed. They do look like robberies, but there is some weird sexual motivations here, and I'll tell you about them in a minute. So the person that conducted this series of crimes did go to some efforts to conceal his identity. He used the burner phones and all that. But now it's April 19th, and the police are really working this case. The forensic examination reveals an IP address on one of these emails that comes back to Philip Markov out of an apartment in Quincy. So they begin surveillance on the Markov residence, the High Point apartment complex. So they start a background investigation on Markov, and they can't believe he's a second-year medical student at BU. And during this investigation, it came to light that he was living with Megan McAllister. So they staked out both cars, and they're just waiting on more information. One of their fears was they hadn't had any of these victims. They hadn't had the opportunity to identify Philip Markov as their assailant because they had just been getting all of this data together. So they were afraid if they made an arrest prematurely, the case would go south. So the cops continue surveillance at the High Point apartment complex, and nothing is out of the ordinary. But the next day, April 20th, they did get a victim, and I believe it was the first victim, Trisha Leifler, whom Philip Markoff had stolen $800 and a gift card from. I believe she did positively identify him, and something was happened simultaneously. As they're getting a positive ID from Ms. Leffler, Philip Markoff and his girlfriend, Megan McAllister, exit the building with suitcases. So now the detectives are in a tither. They think Markov may be making a run for it. So just after they get the positive ID from Leffler, the Boston police ask the Massachusetts State Police to make this traffic stop. And this traffic stop occurs on Route 95 South in Walpole. And... They wanted to know right away, was Markov looking to flee the scene, flee the state with Megan McAllister? It turns out they were just going to Foxwood Casino. You see, if you remember, I told you previously that Philip Markov is believed to have a problem with gambling. And so I think this is what he was doing during this crime spree, was taking that robbery we got $800 and now he's going to go to Foxwoods. So I think finances were a motivation for this kid. So they separate Megan McAllister, the fiance, from Philip Markov. And I went through her deposition actually when she's questioned by the Boston Police for the first time. And actually this is online, so if you want to watch it, Megan McAllister didn't know anything about Philip Markov's nefarious activities. She's just totally clueless. You can tell in her in her statement. She just didn't know. She loved the guy, so Philip Markov does talk to the police but he's kind of curt about it he's kind of weird if you've got some time listen to some of these police interviews markoff is just off to me he's always off whenever i see him in court or i see him in this interview there's something just off about him and like i said there was a sexual element to these cases they arrest markoff that day and a few days later he's arraigned and the DA gives some evidence of what they found. They want him held without bail. So they had to provide some indication that they had the right man here, and they did provide some of the evidence they had. So at the bail hearing, the district attorney states that they recovered the gun that was used in the Brisman shooting, same type of gun. It's going to take a while to get it analyzed, but it's the same type of ammunition. They found the gun in a hollowed-out Gray's Anatomy book, believe it or not. They found zip ties, and this is where the sexual element of this case comes in. He also stole underwear from these victims, and he kept them. So he kept them in socks under the mattress in his bed, and it just strikes me so weird. None of the victims reported being sexually assaulted by Markov, but... He feels the need to take underwear from these girls for some reason. So I guess he's drawn to this profession because he thinks it's easy money. and He can pay these gambling debts or whatever, but it's just so unnecessary. The guy is taking loans out for medical school. He's going to owe hundreds of thousands of dollars anyway. What difference does another thousand here or there make? He was in his second year. He was going to wrap it up pretty soon and start earning money. I don't think paying back that loan was so pressing. But I think Philip Markov was a different type of sociopath. There's something about this case that gives me an extreme feeling of unease. He's just not right. So I was telling you about some of the evidence, and I don't even think they had mentioned at that time was the video evidence. The video evidence was some of the most damning evidence. It shows Philip Markov leaving or in the hallway of these classic iconic Boston hotels where the lighting's perfect and you can see straight away who it is. Philip Markov on a cell phone texting. So he's using his cell phone. That puts the cell phone at a certain location at a certain time. Please trace it back to Markov. The evidence is absolutely overwhelming. There'd be more physical evidence coming down the pike as well. But for the bail hearing, that would have been enough to convict this guy straight out, never mind just a bail hearing. So he was denied bail. And Megan McAllister decided to stick by him. But now I believe she's being counseled just a few days later by some family members who says, this looks like he's doing this, Megan. And why does he have a gun? That woman was shot with a 9 millimeter. He's got a gun at the house. It came out later That Philip Markoff had actually purchased the gun in New Hampshire, but used a phony ID, a real ID, but it wasn't him. So that was found at the house, bullets, zip ties, underwear, and then came the digital evidence, his IP address that tracked him right down to his home computer at his apartment in Quincy. So Megan really couldn't deny this anymore. She did visit him once. And that's when she stated she was going to stand by him. The second time she visited him, she had an attorney and stated that she was there to say goodbye to Philip and wouldn't see him ever again, or for a long period of time, or maybe ever again. I believe that was the quote. So on April 23, 2009, a report was issued from the Suffolk County Jail. And Philip Markoff had tried to kill himself and was placed on suicide watch at the jail after some corrections officers noticed marks on his neck, indicating he may have tried to hang himself. The next day, Rhode Island investigators announced that they had linked Markov's fingerprints and text messages to the assault at the Warwick Rhode Island Hotel. So Megan McAllister visited Philip Markoff again on April 30th, and this was the last one. And she had called off the wedding and told him that he may never see her again. And a short time after that, in June, a grand jury announced their indictment of Philip Markov in the two Boston cases. And Rhode Island almost simultaneously announced that they would try Philip Markoff after these two, the murder and the robbery in the Boston cases. So what I was going to have to wait, apparently. So Philip Markoff was maintaining his innocence throughout this whole thing, and he was in jail. But in February 2010, the Suffolk County court judge ruled that the prosecutors could obtain a DNA sample to match against the victims in the Boston cases. So this would come back later, and it was Philip Markov's DNA. But in June, they scheduled the murder trial of Julissa Brisman, and that trial was set for 2011, March of 2011. But in August 2010, Philip Markov committed suicide, and he meant business this time. He had used a homemade scalpel that he had constructed and he had cut his wrists not across but all the way up he cut his neck and he put a paper bag over his head so when he lost consciousness he was intending to die this was a legitimate suicide attempt and it worked and he died on August 15, 2010 in the Nashville street jail the case was just going south against him there was no way he was going to beat any of these cases but during his suicide, this was actually the date of his wedding, I believe, or the first anniversary of his wedding, so it was some sort of meaningful for the guy, I guess, and he had written in blood on his cell pet names that Philip and his fiance would call each other and all this, and he had her pictures all around on his cell, so it was definitely a legitimate suicide attempt, and he finish the job so this case has always stuck with me it's just so crazy that he'd throw it all away like this over such small amounts of money and reckless and crazy so then keeping all that evidence as a medical student as a doctor you'd have to know he'd be on camera that his ip address would be traced it's another one of these in a really crappy series of plans, like All these plans I see these criminals come up with, it's just horrible, right? I mean, he's on his way to an advanced medical degree and he can't figure out he's going to be caught on videotape that his IP address will be able to be captured after these girls get hurt. It was crazy. I'm sad to say I don't know what actually happened to Megan McAllister. Did she go to medical school in the Caribbean that September? I'd have to say no, but I'm not sure. I wish her well when I was reading the transcript of her interview with the Boston police. She loved Philip, and she was shocked by this. I think she had no part in it. She only saw the good side of this guy, and everybody else, all these other women, saw the real Philip Markov. So I just don't get it. I really don't. All right, guys, I'm going to leave you there. I hope you have a great day. 2021 can't get any worse well strike that maybe it can but it won't it won't get any worse it'll get much better all right guys that's it for me i'll see you on the flip side talk to you next week